Welcome back to the St. Francis Youth Podcast, the podcast where we explore your questions and stuff, where we, where we explore stuff. Welcome back. It's going to be a good one. You would not believe how many takes that introduction took me. I am not made for this. I, I mean, cameras tend to break when I'm around, let's be honest. And now, now my hair is growing and, and continuing to do so without any intervention from the hairdressers. And facial hair has begun to happen as well, which I'll be honest with you, I thought this, this wasn't possible. I have essentially grown up with a baby face. Maybe that's changing, we'll see or I'll give up and shave next week. Anyway, welcome. Enough about my facial hair. How are you? How are you doing? You guys are genuinely amazing. Really amazing. Some of the stories on the Instagram takeovers have been just amazing. And uh, your donations to the food bank just meant the world to them. We're going to be looking at doing that again quite soon. Um, Like I said, this is the podcast where we explore some of the topics chosen by you. Um, and you guys really wanted to dig into how and why we could read the Bible. Hopefully you found the previous two episodes really helpful. Uh, we're going to continue having interviews, but today we're going to do something just slightly different. Um, we thought it'd be useful just simply to read a bit of the Bible together and just to start unravelling some of the layers of meaning um, in the passage. Um, so I invited just a few of you to join me and we recorded that conversation and uh, that is what we're going to watch Um, in a few moments. But beforehand, it has been so good listening to your opinions on the topic. Um, And one of the things I asked uh, was, what do you find really difficult uh, about reading the Bible? What are some of your negative experiences of reading the Bible? So let's have a look at those first. Over to you. So while I go at school, some girls were quite mean to me and it hurt me. A couple of days later, I was looking through um, my Bible for my my verse of the day and it was a verse on forgiveness and um i felt really strongly that i needed to forgive these girls but they'd made me feel sad and i really didn't want to forgive them and that made it really hard but um for me this is a good example of how sometimes it's easy to interpret the bible but the hard thing is hearing what it has to say, like what it's saying to you and acting on it. Negative experience of reading the Bible for me is that I've tried to do the New Testament in 90 Days Challenge about three times and every time I've never made it to two weeks. Um, I'd wake up really early to read my Bible and I would just fall back to sleep again. Or So then I'd try to do it in the evening and I would just get to bed and I'd just go to sleep because I was really tired and I just couldn't find a time that worked for me. And that was really frustrating because I wanted to do it, but I just couldn't get the motivation. I think there's been lots of times when I found it difficult. Um, I might have had the burst of enthusiasm to pick it up and then I've opened it and I've thought, this is really dull. Like, I'm really not into this at all. Like, I'm finding it really hard to connect and hear what Jesus is saying through it. Yeah. A struggle I've had with the Bible is that before I got into the habit of reading it every day and starting with the New Testament, I used to just start with Genesis and feel so overwhelmed and really confused and I'd never make it past that point and I just couldn't understand the connection people had with this book. For me, over the last seven to ten years, 
as well as my health condition, I battle um, with quite severe depression at times. And when you're feeling that low and empty, the last thing you want to do is pick up a book and read. It was something my Bible sat would sit on the shelf for months and months and I wouldn't open it, I wouldn't even look at it. Then when I would, I'd find a verse that would remind me of what a good, true and amazing God we have. The Bible has many controversial topics, which is, which means that they are debatable. So, um, heaven and hell, whether they exist, is quite a big topic. John 14 talks about heaven and Revelations 21 talks about hell. I've got some friends who don't believe in either, but I still do, which is, I don't really know what to do there. Uh, Alana, Katie, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you you so much for joining me. Um, Without you, it would have just been my voice droning on. So I'm pleased that you're you're here. And uh, do interrupt me for questions or thoughts at any point. That would be amazing. Um, Share your wisdom with us. We um, have been doing a series where we've been exploring um, how and why to read the Bible. And I thought it would just be really useful to actually just dig in with page one um, and just start reading it. We won't be here all night. We're not going to go to the end. Um, but just look at sort of the first few pages and just think a little bit about how we can read this as a text. Um, so I guess before we dive into Genesis 1, um, I'd be really interested to know how uh, perhaps, yeah, what your experience of these first few pages of the Bible is. I suppose it is just, um, I suppose everyone um, thinks kind of differently, but um, it's uh, really just whether the first seven days is metaphorical or literally, I suppose it's that kind of take on it. Um, But yeah, personally, I take it metaphorically. Okay. Um, But it's it's interesting to see what other people think. Um, Yeah. I quite like the idea that... um a day could represent a time period and so it's not literally done in seven days but a day might be like several thousands of years yeah and i think that's something that a lot of non-christians aren't kind of taught or kind of know as such um because i know a lot of people are like one of the reasons they like won't believe is because um they think how can the earth be created in seven days when it might not actually be um literally yeah, I feel like a lot of people can sorry, take like scientific reasons for not believing in this, but yeah. like they can work hand in hand. You know? Yeah, and like other things like evolution and the Big Bang and stuff are like a lot of things that can uh, people say that can disprove, but actually it can't as such. Yeah, something's thinking. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think what you what you've just shared is is quite a common um, approach to Genesis 1 which is that we we approach it from kind of our sort of 21st century lens so you know we we are quite scientific we're quite sort of naturalistic so what we see is what we get and so when we look at the bible we kind of read it through those lens of kind of our modern age 
but actually the reality is that this is quite an ancient text and um what we'll get into is as we start to unravel some of the layers to it um that actually as we understand it through more of the ancient lens so the original authors and how they understood it actually there's loads for us to kind of really enjoy and and uh, dive in and, and learn i've chosen a bright yellow uh, onion to represent where we're going because i thought that would be fun um uh with genesis i think that there are different uh, layers of meaning um and this is often uh, true for for lots of passages in the bible um so the outer layer um is the one that we would most often identify with so when i mean it's often what you shared um or it might be where we're sitting and reading it and god speaks to us and and he kind of points bits out to us as we begin to sort of get into the context and the words and the structure we're kind of peeling off the layers and getting closer to the core of what is really going on um but what i like about this analogy is that um everyone can engage with the bible it doesn't matter what layer you're engaging with in fact every time you come back to the bible um you know there's going to be something else to unravel and to learn so the bible is is able to be read by a child um as well as an academic who understands the original language this is a this is a book for everyone to be able to be engaging with at different levels so that's what i love about this analogy so um, what we'll do is we'll dive in with the first layer so in a moment, I'm going to get Alana, if it's all right, to read through Genesis 1. And while she's doing this, um, I would love us to kind of be sort of taking note of uh, what is it that we notice about, about the text? What jumps out to us? Is there anything that speaks to us? And as we do this, to kind of prayerfully read it as well and to allow God maybe to speak to us um, through it. Is that, is that all right? And then we'll share kind of what we, um, yeah, what we get from it. Great, Alana, over to you. Hello, it's not Alana, it's me again, Paul, interrupting my own podcast, which feels very weird. I just want to encourage you um, not to skip this reading, which is uh, often the temptation. Um, and actually, if you're listening to this or watching this, uh, just to take a moment to make the most of it, to do this as an activity yourself, to listen to what God might be speaking to you through this passage. So uh, enjoy, over to you, as Alana reads uh, through Genesis 1. The beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said that the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with the seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. 
And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said that the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds the livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over their livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, for the earth and subdue it, all over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing tree on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, Everything that he has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Brilliant. And I forgot that it carries on a little bit into chapter two that says, uh, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, and he, has, uh, he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Alana, thank you so much. Um, so this first layer, um, I, I think this is a way that anyone can engage with reading the Bible, is that we, we just simply read it, and then we allow the text itself just to speak to us, or God to speak to us through it. When you were reading it um, or listening to it, was there anything that jumped out to you that you would like to share? I think um, for me, it just shows that God has that like ultimate control um, that he could like just create all these things out of nothing. And like as the sun and the moon, they're all things that we're used to and they're there. And the thought that God made them and put them there for a reason, like he has that control and that mm. purpose. I think that's just really amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Um, also, I, as we listened to it, I just thought that like God doesn't—it doesn't really say how God made them. It just said that like God 
put the fish in the sea, etc. And it's like we don't really need to worry about how it was done. We just need to know that God did it and with reason. Mm, interesting. Really helpful. Thank you. Something that jumps out to me is uh, the kind of um, the sentence, so God created mankind in its own image, kind of makes you feel special as such and, um, and know that everyone's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming that God's beautiful. Yeah, oh, ah. <laughs> no definitely yeah no all great points i think for me this time um it was uh the just when you when you said let there be light this kind of first declaration from god just that really spoke to me this time i think just we're in quite a dark time at the moment as well and just god speaks and instantly he's speaking light into kind of dark situations and that it was really powerful to hear that time. That's great. Brilliant. So this is the first layer. And I think whenever anyone engages with the Bible, this is the, this is the outer layer of the onion, as it were, that we are, we're able to engage with, um, where we're able to notice things and see what God is doing. So let's move on to the second layer, which I have called the ancient context. This is going to get cool. Okay, so uh, this layer is asking really kind of two big questions. So firstly, what is the ancient context? So what was actually happening when this was written? And secondly then, so how did the original readers understand this text? Um, it was written for a particular group at a particular time in history. What was it doing during that time? Now, there's lots of debate and I'm just going to, we haven't got time to unpack all of the, the sort of complexities um, so I'm just going to kind of take one line, but just to be really aware that there's other, there's other ways of interpreting this stuff. Um, but I think uh, one train of thought says, I think this makes a lot of sense, that Genesis was written while the Israelites were in exile. So they're in exile um, in Babylon. And what's happening is they're, they're hearing uh, all of the other Babylonian stories. So there are other creation stories um, across history. Most ancient civilizations have some kind of origin story, how the world came into being. So they're hearing all of these ancient stories. And what they're doing is they're thinking, well, hang on, that, that doesn't sound like the God that we worship and the God that we know and the God that promises to save us from exile. Um, if, if our God um, was to create the world, which we believe he did, um, this is the way he would have done it. And what they do is they construct Genesis 1 um, to kind of tell us something about the kind of God that they worship and adore and know. So I thought it'd be really helpful to just look at one of these ancient stories, if you're up for it. And this is the story called the Enema Elish. It's one of the ancient Babylonian creation stories. This is probably one of the ones that they would have heard while they were in exile. And uh, it begins with two watery, disorderly beings, one male and one female. Um, Apsu, I'm just going to make up the names, Apsu, sweet water, and Tamat, salt water. And from their union, there comes forth a, a variety of sea monsters and gods. And in the ensuing chaos, Tiamat, the female creator, tries to take control. And her descendants unite against her, choosing one of their number, Marduk, the god of Babylonian uh, sorry, they've got a ba Babylon to lead them. Armed with a hurricane and riding a tempest drawn by four fiery steeds, 
Marduk meets Tiamat and her evil accomplice Kingu in battle and he kills them both. He splits the monstrous corpse of Tiamat into two parts. From half of her he creates the heaven and from the other half the earth. In heaven he constructs a dwelling place for his colleagues, the gods, recognising that they will need a race of servants he uses the blood of um, Kingu to create the first man. Uh, this is then followed by the other necessary tasks, such as the creation of rivers and plants and animals. So, okay, if we were to line up the one that Alana's just read and the Enuma Elish, what are the what are the big differences between the two? It was quite violent. <laughs> so violent. Yeah. yeah. And, and what does that really... No, sorry, go on. No, no, go for it, mate. <laughs> I was going to say, it's so violent. What, what does that say about the kind of god that they, that they worship? It doesn't have the same loving um, field. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it said he created them as servants, like the yeah. people. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for Tom earlier, what jumped out to you was the fact that we're made in his image that we're beautiful, right? Um, but in this, in this Enuma Elish, actually, they're servants. Humanity only exists to serve the gods because they're basically too lazy to do the work themselves. Where actually in our Genesis 1, we're, we're meeting with a god here that is saying, actually, I'm not too lazy. I'm, I'm creating all things and then humanity are going to be rulers. They're going to be in my image as well. So... Yeah, can you see how it's how it's helpful? I don't know. Is is it helpful to understand some of the ancient contexts of of their writing? The third layer to our onion is what do the words and the structure tell us? This is where we're going to sort of Bible nerd out a little bit, if that's okay. In the first verse, um, uh, sorry, the second verse. It says in my translation that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, in, in the Hebrew, which is the original language um, that this was written in, that um, without form and void or, or that emptiness, the Hebrew is tohu avohu, which sounds really cool. Do you want to try and say it? Tohu avohu. Tohu. Tohu. Oh, you almost did it in sync as well. That was not bad for webcam. Good effort. So tohu avohu is is actually more than emptiness and and uh, and void. It's it's almost like a chaotic wasteland. It's like everything is a mess. It's like you can imagine sort of stars just racing around. There's no order or structure. Um, it's just chaos. And what God begins then to do is to speak order into that chaos. So what it's doing is, and remember the context from the previous layer of the onion, is that they were in exile. They're experiencing chaos um, in uh, sort of the Hebrew time, that very idea of water. Um, uh, uh, for them, they, they hated water. Um, water kind of represents sort of the chaotic nations that would overwhelm them and drown them and attack them. Um, so here we've got the spirit of God hovering over the waters, the chaos, the armies, the exile that they're in. And what's he doing is he's speaking light and order into that. So he is above all, 
all the other things. So knowing that kind of layer, that word, I think can be really helpful. But there's something else going on in Genesis. And to be honest, there's loads going on in Genesis. I had to pick out just a few to kind of share with you guys. But this one is really cool. So day one, he creates light. And now don't look at the screen for a sec. Sorry, I shouldn't have put that up. He creates light. But what does he actually create? Yeah, I, I saw this earlier when I read it. Um, I, sh- I kind of assumed it would be sun and stuff, but then yeah. later on it says that it creates the sun and the moon and the stars. Yeah. Um, which I was going to ask that. I was, I was a bit confused. Right. Well, hopefully this will confuse you more. I mean, help. Um, so <laughs> this might be a bit more confusing. So, yeah, we've got light without the sun. So already the science is not matching up. Okay, so our scientific sort of lens that we're trying to read this with just doesn't work. That's not what this is trying to do. Um, So day one, he's creating light. And what is that? It says that he called it day and night. So what God is actually creating is the system of time itself. God is ordering and, and creating time. And then on day two, he creates the waters and the skies. So he separates them. You've got that kind of expanse, that void. He creates the waters and the skies and day three, he then creates the land and the fruit. So what we've got is three huge systems, three sort of um, sort of categories. We've got kind of time. We've got space between sort of water and uh, and sky. And then we've got the land and the fruit. But all of that is missing something. Um, and what's amazing is the is the um, symmetry in Genesis. So day one, two, three are then matched with day four, five and six. OK, so day one, he creates light. Day four, he creates the sun, moon and stars. Day two, he creates water and sky. And day five, he creates the creatures that will inhabit the waters and the skies, so the, the fish and the birds. Day three, he creates land and fruit. Day six, again, the same thing as the animals and the humans. But what's really amazing, I just want to point out a few things, um, is uh, that each, so day one, two or three, they exist, but they haven't got anything to rule over them, to govern them. Okay, so day four, five and six is introducing um, uh, system or people who will govern day one, two, and three. So let me show you. So day one, he creates the sun. We then get to day four, and it says God made the two great lights, the greater light, and notice the language here, to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. Uh, and then in verse 18, it says that these lights were to rule over the day and over the night. So we've got day one existing. But it needs a ruler. So God creates the sun and the moon to rule over day one. And the same thing happens on day five. Um, God speaks to the fish and the birds who are now occupying the waters and the sky of day two. And he's saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the, uh, in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And then uh, the same thing happens on day six with the animals and with the humans. Um, and we'll just skip straight to the human bit. Um, who's going to rule over the land and the fruit? God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. 
And then verse 28, it says, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. So can you see how that kind of lines up? It's really cool. It's a bit Bible nerdy, sorry, but it's, it's really cool, I think. You've got kind of three huge systems, so time and space and land and um, agriculture. And then you, you've got kind of the things that are then filling it and ruling it and governing it that are then kind of match up into it. And then that leaves day seven kind of lingering there on the end. And it's the last thing I just wanted to nerd out on this layer um, is that at the end of every day, it says there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day or the fifth day or whatever it was. On the seventh day, we see something very different. So on the seventh day, uh, this is chapter two. It says uh, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. It's really repetitive, these few verses. It's really like hammering home the point. God rested. He, he moved in to enjoy his creation, that he would walk alongside humanity. He's almost made a temple for him just to come and, and move into, to come and hang out with us um, and to rule alongside us. Um, and notice how day seven doesn't end. There's no, that was the seventh day, that was morning, evening, seventh day. The idea of this is that this is the seventh day was meant to carry on forever as we enjoyed the rest in the land um, and community with God, which is really cool, isn't it? Um, but as we'll see in the next layer, that doesn't stick very much. Right, that was massively nerdy, but how, how do you find... How did you find that? Does that raise any questions or thoughts? I think it just shows like how clever he is as an eater. I've it all figured out. <laughs> I can't even get my head around it. Like how you do that? Yeah, it's just quite cool how it like all lines up in like ways that you don't really see first of all when you read it. Yeah, definitely. And and do you remember how? Um, the context is that they're in exile you've got kind of a nation that is trying to rule over them and and kind of make them um live in their own stories and their own creation stories you know you're going to be our servants the way that we are to our gods right this this kind of when we see that each of each of god's create creatures their their purpose is to enjoy what he has made and to rule over it you actually see that God is a God that really wants to, um, I don't know, to give us authority and to, and to give us power. That we're not just to serve him, but we're actually to be rulers alongside him, which is really cool. Like we are to be kings and queens of creation. Um, and I just think understanding that and seeing the way it all matches together really kind of brings that point home as well, doesn't it? Um, which is so cool. Any questions? Uh, um... yeah. This relates quite to your biblical bit, but um, the bit about dominion kind of makes me wonder. And like looking after the world that he's made, I was like, are we doing like, a good enough job of that? And yeah, so we're <laughs> kind of destroying it, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. And I think um, on that, like we we've taken our kind of our power 
quite seriously i think i think we we've gone on to use it um to create amazing things medicine and cities and um you know skate parks and the rest of it um and pizza um but we've also taken that sort of that creation that that um uh, creative uh, ability and that power to make nuclear weapons and you know plastic that just is clogging up the oceans and you know all this other stuff and um and as we'll see actually in the in the next layer um that we we decided that we would try and rule on our own uh, rather than ruling alongside god we were always meant to create cities we were always meant to cultivate the land and have dominion over it um but in a way that was fair and good and just and kind to the earth and that only took from it what we needed and gave back to it um but instead we've kind of we've gone too far at times haven't we i think but yeah it's great to point that out um often um the church has been accused of not being very good looking after the environment because we kind of think well you know the earth's going to be destroyed we're going to go off to heaven afterwards and we don't need to worry about it but actually this kind of changes that a little bit doesn't it it says no you're meant to be looking after this and ruling this like god has given you authority over this um yeah layer four is where does the passage fit into the overall chapter book and bible as a whole we're not going to go into all of that because we would be here all night um but i just thought it'd be helpful to see what happens uh next so if you've got a bible there we're just going to skip i think over to chapter three and so um chapter two of genesis is like uh, you've had that this big wide lens angle if it was a movie you've kind of seen everything come into being and you've been introduced to the creator okay chapter two is like it would kind of zoom in and you and it would be like the garden and what is happening in the garden and how humanity was created and it says it slightly differently to chapter one because it's trying to make slightly different points but we haven't got time to go into it and then chapter three is kind of that always lost moment of the movie where stuff starts to go really wrong and so uh, we introduced to the serpent who was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the lord god had made and he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, um, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's different ways of interpreting this passage, um, but I think uh, the the big glaring obvious thing that we've just realised is that humans were made in the image of God to, to rule and to be like him. And um, the serpent here is saying, if you eat that fruit, what it's going to do is make you like him. So the, there's a tension here in that they are already like him. He's kind of trying to kind of bend God's words and bend the truth and um, point them in a different direction. Um, and then there's great use of sort of poetry and, and metaphors. So um, they eat the fruit. Uh, and in verse seven, the first thing that happens is that they notice they're naked. 
which is quite a strange turn. If you were to take this as a scientific document, you'd be thinking, right, something in the fruit triggered something in their brain that made them think they were naked. Or we're reading this like poetry and we're seeing, okay, they've just disobeyed God and now they're realising something that they've never seen before, that they're vulnerable, that they're, yeah, like they're trying to, they're, they're, they've made a mistake, they've got something that needs covering up, is sort of the poetry here. And what they tried to do in verse 7, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothing. So in other words, they're trying to cover themselves up. They, they've never done anything wrong, um, and now they have, and they're vulnerable, and they realise they're naked, and that they need to cover up their mistake. And then God appears in the garden, um, and instantly we're noticing, although they're meant to be walking with God and enjoying his presence and resting, that seventh day rest um, in creation with, uh, with him, actually what's happened is that they've separated themselves from him. He's asking them where they are. Um, and what happens next is that he spells out um, some of the consequences of their actions, um, and that judgment begins with the serpent um, and, uh, and then continues through. Um, and during this passage, though, there's two things that just, again, show how generous and loving and amazing God is. So the first one is in verse 15. And uh, so it's chapter three, verse 15. God is laying into the serpent, basically, and saying, you know, you're going to be crawling along your belly and, you know, um, you're just going to be covered in dust all the time um, because you've deceived, uh, you've deceived them. But in verse 15, he says, I will put um, uh, an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his hill. And it's really random. But what I think we've got here is um, a promise that from woman, so a human being, in other words, will come at some point, and that human being will crush the serpent. We're looking for a serpent crusher. And when we start reading the Bible, what we're doing next is we're saying, ah, I wonder if this person is the serpent crusher. No, no, they're definitely not the serpent crusher. I wonder if this next person is a serpent. No, 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 they're they're worse. And and there's a few there's a few times we're like, oh, this is getting promising. This could be the serpent crusher. This is the guy that's going to come and crush sin and Satan and you know defeat evil once and for all. And then we're like, oh no, no, that's that's not him either. And the prophets start to look forward to the serpent crusher. Uh, the serpent crusher. Anyone want to guess who the serpent crusher is? It's Jesus. Um, there's a great movie. I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of Christ. You're not old enough. But if you've seen it. Um, my mum and dad never let me watch that. <laughs> in it, the first scene, um, you see Jesus um, walking in the desert and he stands on a snake's head. And it's basically kind of pointing back to Genesis. Like, here it is. Here's the serpent crusher, um, which is so cool. The second thing that we get um, is in verse 20. So after God has kind of laid into them the consequences of it, he, uh, sorry, verse 21, uh, he says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And what's happening here is where they had, uh, what was the first thing they did when they sinned? Can you remember? Um, they covered themselves up. 
yeah they cover themselves they realize they're naked and they try and cover themselves off they themselves up but clearly did a rubbish job of it um you know they're trying to do it with fig leaves um so what god does for them is he makes proper clothing for them he's the one that truly covers them up and again you can see how symbolic this is in the poem that actually humanity is never really going to be able to pay or cover up their own mistakes enough it's going to require god to act on their behalf and to cover them once and for all and this is um notice how it's uh garments of skin uh, and uh yeah garments of skins and clothes them in other words this is the first animal sacrifice that blood is shed as a consequence of their rebellion um and so this is pointing forward to a time where God, through the shedding of blood, will cover up humanity's um, sins once and for all. This is the first book in the Bible. This is the third chapter. And already you can see that Jesus is almost on every page, isn't he? Um, so that's kind of how it fits into the, the Genesis narrative. As we think about creation, um, yeah, I wonder if you guys want to have a go at putting some of these themes together. How do these different layers um help you understand this passage better what have you taken away from it it makes me think more about the bible as in i normally just read it but if you kind of go more in depth and think about the different layers then i think feel you get more out of it as well and you're not kind of just reading it and it goes straight through your head um and yeah definitely builds a better relationship um, yeah it's like, like less of a story and more of something that can actually like affect your life and um, yeah yeah helpful how i mean how does how do these insights kind of benefit us how do they how do they help us it just shows like the depth of god's love and his like creativity and his power like you just see it at like a whole nother level yeah so helpful great guys thank you so much yeah, thank you thank you yeah. it's been very good